Welcome back to Design Emergency, the podcast. This is Paola Antonelli speaking with you, also on behalf of my co-founder, Alice Rostorn. And we're here today to speak to a sublime information designer, Federica Fragapane. Ciao, Federica. Hello, Paola, and thank you so much for having me again. Federica is a sublime information designer. She trained in the same school where I went, so we're school sisters, the Politecnico di Milano, and she studied their information design. Federica is a veteran of Design Emergency because in 2020, when Alice and I started this whole project and platform to explore designers' response to the pandemic, Federica was at the core of it all. She was working with a foundation, the Foundation to produce a new vulnerability index that would visualize and highlight for everybody, for officers and for lawmakers, the different degrees of vulnerability of counties in the United States and then later on also in other parts of the world to the COVID virus. So Federica, just to just to make it easier for people that are listening to us for the first time, can you explain to everybody what you do, what an information designer is? Sure. So I visually translate numbers, data, information into shapes, into visual shapes. And the the goal is to make them more visible, to make them more readable, and also to to use the numbers and to use the data to talk about topics. And this is my, my main goal, to let people read and understand complex topics. And indeed, uh, the topic that we discussed when we first met was really complex. And, you know, in a way, it was a way to get back to the beginning of visualization design. You know, many people think that visualization design was born with the snow cholera map in 1854, which is the map of London that kind of pinpointed where cholera began, where the epidemic began, just by putting together data and visualizing them on a map. So that vulnerability index that you made for Sergo Foundation, if you can describe it, and also, did it lead to any new insights? Did it help with the management of the COVID pandemic? So yes, the vulnerability index was an index that defined the vulnerability to COVID-19 according to different factors. And so the need from Surga Foundation was to uh, classify these different levels of vulnerability according to socioeconomic uh, conditions, for instance, or healthcare by different states in the United States and by different counties. And so the need there was to provide patterns made of very complex and intricate intersections of data uh, for decision makers. Uh, I really hope that it was helpful because it's something that we designed before the first wave uh, of COVID in the US. I, Italy has already been hit by the pandemic, so I knew very well the urgency. Um, and so I, I don't have access actually to how decision makers use this kind of tool, but I know that it was, uh, I know that it was used to decision makers. I know that, uh, and I hope that it had the impact that I was hoping to have when I worked on it. And then we also designed the same thing for Africa, for uh, African countries. So this is how we developed a second version of it. Um, it's really, data visualization can have very different outputs and responding to very different needs. This was one of the aspects I work on, creating something for decision makers to be used. 
That's what I like about the way you proceed with visualization design. I mean, in general, visualization design is about making visible what sometimes is invisible because of complexity. Yes, it's one of the aspects I love more about this job. Um, data visualization for me is always a tool, a tool that can have different goals, but it's never like the final point, it's never the final objective. It's a tool that has to serve to something, has to serve to be a, a, an instrument to take decisions, but also a tool to give a voice to people, a tool, a tool to let people explore topics, discover topics, share uh, topics. Uh, this is what I'm most passionate about. Artful, yes. Aesthetically pleasing, yes. A masterpiece, but also that serves the world and that adds something to it. So I like it very much. And you're incredibly prolific. You know, you have clients of visualizations from space trash to noise levels in cities. But what Alice Rostorn, the co-founder of Design Emergency, and I are partial are your visualizations of the gravest, most complex and most urgent issues that often deal with the most vulnerable among us, like migrants, asylum seekers, elders, activists, and you give them a face and you give them a voice with uh, images that appear simply and seductive, but, in, the, but in, in reality, these simplest images contain universes. I would like now you, for you to talk about one of the most moving visualizations that you did in the past few years, which is Iran protests from the fall of 2022. Thank you so much for your words, first of all. Uh, so I am glad to tell the story about this project and the process and the reasons behind it. So. I was following the news on, on the protests in Iran following the death of Mahzamini. She was 22 years old and she died in an hospital in Tehran. She died in custody of Iran's morality police and she was arrested because of the way she was wearing the headscarf. I was following the news covering the protests. Uh, I was so enraged, I was so moved and I was so full of infinite admiration for the women, the people who were so courageously protesting. I had some ideas in mind, but I was waiting to do something because I didn't know if it was the right time to do something. And I didn't know if it was my turn to do something. So I was waiting a little bit. And then one day I saw the Instagram stories posted by the designer Maral Purkazemi. Uh, she's a colleague, she's a designer, she's an Iranian and German designer living in Europe. And through her Instagram stories, she was asking us, the people outside Iran, to do something. Uh, she was asking to spread the news, she was asking to use the tools we have, any tool, to help keeping the light on what was happening. And she was writing that people in Iran also needed that kind of support needed the media coverage and needed to not to feel alone in, in their incredible battle. She, she mentioned how important also a small act could be for them at that moment. So immediately after having seen her stories, uh, I started designing. I had already in mind an image uh, for some time. I had in mind this, this, this shape of the braid uh, because one of the forms of protest from Iranian women was cutting their own braids, cutting their own hair to protest. And, and so I had this image of the braid in mind. And as I always do, I looked for data, I looked for numbers to cover topics. It's something I, I do. And the data that I found uh, was the data, a very simple number, was the number of the people who had been killed since the beginning of the protest. At the time, it was in October, it was 133. 
And so I took that number and I visualized it. And I designed this bread uh, in which each line is air, is one person killed. And then I post it online with a caption, with this more short text, and I post it online. And I, I have to say, I didn't have any plans. I just posted it. And I was so overwhelmed by the hundreds of comments and messages, private messages received uh, from mostly from the, the Iranian diaspora, Iranian people. They, they just asked me, please do it again. Uh, we, we also need this kind of information. I, I wasn't planning anything. I, I, I just posted the first image, but then the people who were involved more or less directly helped me in shaping it, helped me in shaping the project. Uh, I listened to their comments. I listened to their requests. And, and I would say I kept on working on it because they asked me for it. And for instance, I also changed some sentences and the ways in which I use words after their comments. And words are very important, I think. For instance, in the first one that I posted, I wrote 133 people died uh, since the beginning of protests. And rightfully, many people commented it. It's not died, it's have been killed. And it's such a, a right comment to do, a right critic to do. And so I, I for, for, for the second one, I changed the text. And I think that the words that we use are also very important. And then in the second one, uh, so in the second one that I posted, I then added a, a second kind of data, a dreadful one, that is the number of children and teenagers killed, because it was another data that I could access from the source, uh, a new data that I could access for the source I was looking through. And, and so that I kept on posting because uh, they were asking me to do it. And, and something that I also understood working on this project is that, it, again, I really see data visualization as a tool. And in this case, in this case I understood that the tool found its meaning in being reshared every time to keep the topic alive. So the people resharing it were an essential part of the project. I, I'm just, uh, for me, it's important to say that the project created this small community of people in the sense that there were some people who consistently shared it and brought me so many kind messages. And I recognize them from the profile pictures. Uh, maybe I know their faces, maybe I know they're from an illustration in the profile pictures, but I will never, never forget them in the, in the interactions that I had with them. You've always been very deliberate when we asked you about the visualization of complex data that belonged to cultures that were not yours, in particularly people of color. And you said very, very wisely, you said, you know, there are many people from that particular, many designers from that particular community that could visualize that from their heart. So I'm going to stand back and wait. I like that because the job of a, of a visualization designer is also knowing when to speak. And uh, you have you have almost like a double life uh, or, or triple life, I would say. You have your commercial, you have your not-for-profit foundations from Atmos to Surgo to um, Publico. You know, you have so many. And then you have your own work that stems really from your heart. So um, how can you keep it all going and how do you balance your work? Um, for me... Of course, I'm, I'm an independent designer, I'm a freelancer, so for me it's very important to also work on commercial projects. But I have to say, I've always been very lucky, or at least I, 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 I've been able to do a good selection of clients I love to collaborate with and I'm collaborating with. I, I wasn't expecting to be so privileged to be able to choose 
the, the, the clients I can collaborate with. I know it's a privilege. I know it's something that not all designers can do. But for me, it's very important. And it's very important to work on projects that maybe have an educational goal, divulgative goal, or that want to inspire and then want to bring awareness on certain topics. So also for the commercial side of my job, that is essential because I, I have to pay rent and I, have, uh, I need that part of my job. I, I know I'm aware that I'm in a very privileged position in which I can choose uh, the people I, I, I can work with. This for me is very important because it's important that the reasons why I design, even when I design for commercial projects, are the reasons that I'm aligned with. And, and working on commercial projects then allows me to take some time and space to work on the things that I'm most passionate about to work on projects that have no clients behind them and that allows me to declare at first, you know, at first, at the beginning of my career, it was a, also a declaration. It was like, I want to work on this topic. I'm working on these topics because for me it's important and I want to declare that these are the subjects I want to cover and this is the approach I want to use. And now it's right. It's only, I feel the urge to, to work about these topics. I feel the urge to do something uh, for the bread. I, for the Iran, I, I just felt the urge to do it. And as soon as I read these stories from these Iranian people telling me, telling us, okay, it's the right moment to do it, I was like, I started working on it in one second. And you said that in a way you do with your images and with your design what journalists do with words and photographers with pictures. And sometimes I imagine you being almost like a white. So um, in, there have been instances in women rights abuses, like really important ecological crimes and other injustices. And one of the most powerful examples, which, by the way, just entered the MoMA collection, I'm happy to say, is Land Defenders. Can you please talk about that amazing visualization. Yes, so thank you. Um, the piece is, uh, the infographic was designed for an investigative piece about environmental defenders in Brazil, and specifically about the death of land defender Fernando dos Santos Araujo, who was killed in 2021. And the piece was written by the amazing environmental journalist Yesenia Funes. And she asked me to design a visualization on the average proportion and the number of environmental deaths in Brazil by state from 2015 to 2019. And so for each state, I designed a group of red leaves uh, whose number and size represent the proportion by state because there are some states with a very high concentration of deaths. And, and below them, uh, a group of curved lines. One curved line represents one person killed. Um, and Yesenia and the team, they asked me in this case to use uh, my style, my approach to certain data visualizations to design something that could be organic and that could be uh, soft and that could recall nature uh, to, to talk about the stories of, uh, of the land defenders. And I think that as in writing the words, that we use to talk about topics are essential. I really think that we should always should words very carefully. I think that also in my job in data visualization, the visual words that we use, that I use, have a meaningful role. And so I often design, use organic shapes, uh, imperfect shapes, uh, to talk about data that have lives behind them. And it, it leads me to talk about another 
great pioneer of visualization design because, of course, we attribute the beginning of visualization design to John Snow's map and to Florence Nightingale's map of the Crimeans. And instead, the work of W.E.B. Du Bois, who um, was um, a groundbreaking sociologist, Black American from Atlanta, Georgia, who contributed the illustrations to the Paris Exposition in 1900, and in particular to the American Negro exhibit, those illustrations are really groundbreaking. So the the whole the whole exhibition was meant to show the progress of the black people in the United States between 1865 um, and the end of slavery and the Civil War. So it was an attempt to show the power of black Americans. And the illustrations are so powerful. You're familiar with them, right? Yes, I have a book with illustrations right here on my table. Uh, the illustrations are beautifully made, are so relevant in terms of the depiction of a of, of, of the society they, are, they, they make and how they do it. So he, at first, he, he selected uh, a wide selection of photographies to, talk, to cover the topic, to talk about the topic, but then I under, he understood, he, he thought that photographies weren't enough and this is why he decided to create these uh, 63 handmade data visualizations um, to, to, to depict why Black America was being held back, and w which were the reasons, and which was the context. And I think that what makes them so relevant, one is, is a protagonist who's talking about the, what's happening. It's not an external point of view, even if, of course, he had the possibility to study and to access the tools to cover the topics. But it's not something that's coming from the outside, and I think this is very important. And, and then the approach it's so relevant because the charts are incredibly effective and clear, are very simple, but some of them are also very intricate and experimental. And, and I love this aspect of experimentation combined to such an important topic to be covered and to be communicated. And then there are also these, they're handmade, so they're accurate, they're perfect, but they have this sort of imperfection that it's given by the fact that they are handmade and makes them so warm and make the human side so, um, so visible. I think this is something very important that, um, I found incredibly inspiring. And it's true because there, I know some people that actually had, had tattoos of the W.E.B. Du Bois illustrations because they're so compelling also as images. And this leads me to talk about you and also to one of your mentors, Georgia Lupi, who have been really advocating this idea of, well, she, Georgia calls it data humanism. You um, explain it with your own words, but it's about really bringing the human hand into visualization. Yes, it's definitely an inspiration. I have. It was. I. I, I started working with the, with her in 2012. It was my first job. I worked at Accurate with her, and it was amazing working with her. And we really were super close because at the time Accurate was smaller than how it's now, and so we really had the chance to work a lot and to collaborate a lot. And I think that it's very interesting and inspiring that this kind of movement of being aware of the humanity behind the data, advocating for humanity, for the data humanity is coming from women. I know that there are designers and activists and journalists who are really, really focused on this aspect. And I find it particularly inspiring. There is, there is a phrase 
from Alice Rothstone's book, uh, which I, I, I was rereading some of her books recently, and I, I'm, I'm not able to quote exactly uh, the phrase because I, I don't have the book under my eyes right now, but the sense is, if there is a new field, that is a space for women to, to innovate because there are many fields in the design world that have always been in which men had always had were the majority. And so if there is some if there is a new field, there there is more space for women's experimentation. Uh, sorry Alice for I, I misquoted it, but I really love the, the message behind this, this citation. So great. It's Alice. Alice is always a great inspiration. But can you name any of these um, new writers or new designers so that people can go and research? Yeah. So, oh, first designer Mona Shalabi. I mean, she's so famous because she recently won a Pulitzer. Uh, she's a data journalist, a data journalist and she, uh, her work is brilliant. I mean, I don't have to say that uh, her urgency into communicating topics in such a clear and accessible way, but at the same time, always pointing now to how data are not neutral creatures is very very important and how imperfect they are and valid at the same point i think it's very important and then i really love the book data feminism by catherine ignacio and lauren f klein it's a book that i really really recommend because it makes us question the data the world of data visualization collection of data why and how power access to data and how power use data it's something that it's very important to talk about, I think. Yeah, the role of feminism in design is being discussed more and more, and it's becoming more crucial also to the destinies of the world. And this leads me to um, some of the most recent work that you have churned out. Of course, there are many, many different projects, but I would like to talk about the Migrant Rights Initiative and uh, Let Afghan Girls Learn, two very powerful, very simple, very engaging visualization of two complex issues in the world right now. Yes, so let's start from the first one, so the migrants, the migrants project. So it's a um, migrants rights initiative. Uh, this is more on the client side projects and uh, it's closer to the vulnerability index because the, the, the need here is to provide patterns and to uh, provide comparisons. So the project is the result of a collaboration with Sociopublico, uh, Sociopublico and Cornell University. And it's a report which accounts for the protection of the human rights of migrants and implementations in 36 countries. So it's a comparison. And the researchers define a set of groups of rights, such as social rights, integration and citizenships. And for each group of rights, they have calculated the level of protection and implementation and the combination of both of them to provide patterns, to provide insights and to make comparisons, because sometimes make comparisons is helpful to know where to intervene, know where there is work to be done. And the second project that you mentioned, it's another project that is very, very I'm very, very fond of. It's about uh, the situation in Afghanistan. And in this case, I visualized, and again, it's a project I just worked on because I felt the urge to, the need to, and I posted it online. And it visualizes the number of days since the, the Taliban banned teenage girls from schools. Uh, when I posted it, the number was 500. And I usually work for the clients, I work with relatively large sets of data making comparisons as for the Migrants' Rights Initiative. But sometimes uh, only one number is enough, as in this case. And the number was this 
500 days without education. And in this case, I wanted to give space and relevance to each single number, to each single data point. Uh, and I did some tests. I did some tests with curved shapes, the organic shapes that I usually use. I did some tests with uh, irregular uh, circles in which one circle was a day, but I wasn't satisfied with it. And so I started to think back, okay, 150 days without access to education is a number that deserves the deserves to be counted. One, two, three, four, five. So I decided to count the number of days using the words because counting, writing, reading is what gives us access to knowledge, to culture. I had, I was so lucky and so privileged to, that I was born in a country when I had the possibility of learn how to count, how to write, how to read. And this is why I use words. Uh, to count the days. So I created this spiral made of words from one, written words from one to uh, 500. And then I put them on a spiral and I wanted to, to show this terrible spiral increasing, spiral of words in contrast with the negation of this basic human right. Visualization design is one of the most effective tools we have to understand and to manage phenomena and processes at all scales and levels of complexity, and also to let the world at large comprehend them so that everybody can participate in the process of living together, of democracy, and of building a future. So thank you so much for your great work. And until the next time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paola and Alice, for having me again. It's always such an incredible honor. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much.